If you're joining us for the first time, you may not know, we are just ending a series called Who is Church? And you might think, where's the sermon on the cornerstone? I know, right? We were just in the series, and we decided on the pavilion dedication later. But don't worry, because it's going to make, I promise it's going to make sense. We are going to talk this morning, the last message in this series, and the last message in this series is about who is the pastor? I know this is going to get weird because I'm talking about it myself, but you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be with me. And one of the great things, um, and we're going to land here. I'm just going to tell you where we're landing so you don't think that I've forgotten that we have a party later. We're landing in the place of the, uh, this place. One of the, the of all of the things that we're, we, we need to learn from Scripture today and we're hopefully going to be pointing out and, and going to go into our hearts as we pray that it will. One of the greatest privileges of being your pastor is to have days like this with you. And so um, it's my joy to be able to, to talk about the, um, the responsibilities of pastoral leadership today and then also be able to ex- express one of the greatest joys that I have, which is to be able to celebrate something monumental in the church family. And so I get to do all of that, and let's, let's get into it. Let's do it together. So we are talking about who is the church. First, we talked about the fact that we are the priesthood of all believers, that everyone is equal in Christ. That you yourself, right now, wherever you are, can, can go to Jesus for yourself. You can pray. You don't need someone to do that for you. Scripture is very, very clear about that. We talked after that about what it means to belong to the local church, to be a member, to, to say, yes, I'm all in, and to commit to one another. Uh, then we talked about who are the leaders in the local church, uh, the deacons specifically, those who we appoint um, into positions of ser- serving leadership over us. And today, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd turn there with me. If you are with us uh, on your device here in person or, of course, off campus, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, go to More and then Events, and then this uh, search for us, and you'll find that this is already loaded there for you. All of the scriptures for today, they'll be on the screen. There's Bibles in the... There's just so many ways to find the word. You're welcome, okay? And uh, we say this occasionally. I want you to know if there is a Bible... In the, in the seat in front of you, and you are using it, and you don't have one of your own, just take it home. It's yours, okay? We'll just replace it. It's not a big deal. We'd love for you to have one. Ephesians chapter 4, a couple of verses to start, then we're going to get into a couple other things too. But listen to this, starting at verse 11. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, um, and he says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So listen, like not to be disrespectful at all, but have you ever wondered if Jesus might have found a better way than this? (laughs) Like I mentioned last week, that we continue to see uh, church leaders fall. People's secret lives who have a very public ministry being revealed on that public stage. And these kinds of things can make you really cynical. Like, wasn't there a better way than trusting leadership of this very important thing, the body of Christ, the local church, to people that were less fallible than us? But the scripture here clearly says, it clearly says that Christ himself has given the church these leaders. Jesus did this, the perfect one. And so we know for sure that there is a calling on some people to give leadership to the church, knowing that the church itself does not belong to them. 
And these leaders are found in the church today, just in case you're wondering if this is a new concept for you. Um, maybe this isn't a perfect comparison to what Paul was saying in Ephesians, but it's probably pretty close. When we see apostles, we read the word apostles, we see that in the modern church in those who plant churches, those who start new works. The, a, lot, a lot of times that the missionaries can be considered apostles, those who are going to new places and starting new works. We see prophets in the church, those who faithfully exercise the gift of prophecy as we read about it um, in scripture. We have evangelists, those who have a special gifting to share the good news with people. There are those in our church who do have this gifting for sure, and, and we need to be recognizing that as well. And then, of course, the pastors who are named here, those who teach and oversee a local congregation. And for our purposes today, we're going to use pastor and teacher as one um, office or role because it's, it, it's debated, but it's often, it's often thought that Paul meant that to be one person. It's a very common way to translate it, the pastor-teacher. Because the pastor is the one who is most known to us, right, in that role. Uh, we, we know those other roles exist in the church, but uh, the, the pastor is the most known to us because they're the one who is with us day in and day out. And this role of the pastor is described a couple of ways in the New Testament, so when you're reading through your Bible, you'll know to recognize it. Um, in Acts 20 and Titus chapter 1, um, we hear the word elder. In 1 Timothy 3, which we're going to read in a moment, uh, we're gonna, you, you see it, this role described as an overseer, and then here in Ephesians 4, we hear the word pastor. So let's read a few of these passages. I'm going to read to you from 1 Timothy and from Acts so we can paint a picture of what you can expect pastoral ministry in the local church to look like, who this person should be, and what responsibilities they are to carry. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. We were here last week talking about the qualifications for deacons. So we started at verse 8. We're going to read the front half of that passage now that leads into it. It says this, 1 Timothy 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. There's a similar list of qualifications. Uh, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, the young pastor Timothy and giving him instruction as he leads the church. And the same, there's a very similar list in um, in Titus chapter 1 as well. So he says this to, a, uh, Paul says this to another young pastor in Titus chapter 1. So let's flip to Acts chap, uh, chapter 20. We're going to read a few verses here to give ourselves just another, just a little bit of a broader picture of this ministry. So Acts chapter 20 verses 28 to 31 says this. So Paul here has now, um, he is on his, on his way to Jerusalem. And he stops in the port of Ephesus, and he's talking now, um, it's the elders of the church in Ephesus have met, so the, 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 what we understand to be like the house pastors or something like that, have met with him, the leaders of the church in Ephesus have met with him, and um, he's giving them some instructions, because he, doesn't, he knows he'll never see them again. It's actually quite an emotional scene. And he says this to them in Acts 20, starting in verse 28, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So be on your guard. So we're going we're gonna to use these scriptures, of course, to help us to paint a picture of, of what pastoral leadership should look like in the local church. And I don't want you to be distracted this morning by the uh, male-oriented language that we have been reading here. Uh, because we, we uh, in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, certainly in this local church, fully believe that each gender is, is, can be called and equipped to serve in any role in ministry. But of course, in this time, there's male-oriented language because it's likely assumes that the common circumstance for overseers, for elders, for pastors, was that they were the Jewish elders who were then taking leadership of the churches, and the possibility of a female elder in the Jewish community was like a non-starter. Very, very slim at the time. And so having the male-oriented language is what was the most natural way to say this, because it was almost certainly a group of men he was talking to. Um, and we actually do a little bit of the same thing today, even as we change gender norms uh, in, in some things. Uh, and I know that some denominations don't recognize women in leadership, but we certainly do in our and we have great reasons that we do that. But I just, we still do a little bit of this today. I just want to, you just go ahead and ask Rob how many times um, he's been the only guy in a group of pastor's wives. And he'd be like, sure, like what are the pastor's wives doing? That sounds great. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'll, it'll be like, okay, uh, okay, pastors, you guys here and your wives can go here. And then Rob's like, what do I do? Like, what do I? So we still, we still struggle a little bit. But, you know, it's all in a good heart and good fun and good spirit. It's just sometimes we forget to use the word spouse instead of just saying wife because we are, um, we are <laughs> just, that's just the way things are. <laughs> what are the pastor's wives doing? Shopping and going out for coffee? Uh, I think I'll go for a run while they all do that. I think I'll do that. So like with the qualifications for a deacons, the list of qualifications for pastoral leadership is pretty significant. That word overseer describes a position of very special responsibility and somebody with very particular uh, qualifications. Uh, in truth, the qualifications for pastoral leadership are actually the same qualifications that all Christians are called to at some point or another during script, in Scripture. But here, here we, see, we see them listed so that we really get a picture of what a, a mature follower of Christ should, should be looking like or at, uh, attaining or, or moving towards. And, and the, the overseer, somebody you trust with this position, should be somebody who is working, uh, working diligently to uh, exemplify these things in their life. And so the verses we've been reading describe uh, the, the challenges, certainly for a person who wants to pastor a church, that they should act as, um, and, and these, these qualifications should also act as criteria for us as a church when we're choosing leadership. We have to know what scripture says so we know what we are looking for if somebody actually um, is qualified for this position. It's not enough to be a good speaker. It's not enough to be a, an efficient manager. It's not enough to have a charismatic personality. Those things are, they may, may be true or may not be. But it, the scripture says a pastor doesn't say anything about those things, actually, other than that they should be able to teach. doesn't mean they have to, like, spin cartwheels for you, which is great, because my cartwheel is really broken. Like, I am not 13 years old anymore. Uh, this, if, we're looking not for those qualities. We're looking for what scripture says, that ongoing spiritual development in our leadership, a quality character, a modeling after Christ to the best of their ability. We said this a bunch of times last week. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the person who is deeply engaged 
in, uh, in, in moving towards spiritual maturity and deeply engaged in their own spiritual development. From Timothy and Titus, in, those, in, the, in the qualifications we read there for the elder, we see a, a few things that we know are true of the people who are called to pastoral leadership. They have to have a strong and decisive sense of call. They need to be formally set apart for office. They need to go through a period of testing. We don't, we don't put people in this position quickly. They are to be paid for their work. They can be reprimanded. They are not above anyone else. We are all one still in the priesthood of believers. They, they preside over the local church and they teach the congregation and, and they can't be a recent convert because that would be disastrous for them. One of the interesting things about being a pastor, myself of course, is how many people tell me consistently how much they would not want my job. Like so many of you have told me that. I think the public speaking thing is the worst part for a lot of people. They think like that would just be the, the worst. I can't believe you have to do that every week. It seems that that sentiment was also true in the early church when, when Paul was writing to these pastors because Paul starts his description of the role of elder, of pastor, of overseer with a reminder that setting your sights on this role is actually a noble thing. It's, a, it's not a punishment. It's a noble thing. And then gives a list of pretty serious qualifications but starts by reminding them that it is a good thing to set your sights on, on leadership, to set your sights on that kind of um, maturity and, and, um, in Christ. In the days of the early church, a couple of things, uh, were, these are not true now at this point in time, but a couple of things that would have made the office of the pastor seem less than desirable. The church was under heavy persecution. And in that situation, you can imagine that the leadership, the pastor, was a target for that persecution. And also, we, we, do, we can understand as we read through the New Testament that there were more and more false teachers going around who were using uh, their position for personal and financial gain. We do see that these days. So, speaking to, I guess Paul was speaking to people who were saying, I don't want to be lumped into that category. But even so, Paul just wants to be clear that the position and function of pastoring is good and needed and given by Jesus himself to the church. Given by Jesus. And then Acts 20, of course, uh, that, that scene with the Ephesian elders helps us by further developing the idea that um, overseers are pastors. This is where we get that word from. We haven't heard it yet until here. Paul is talking to those elders and telling them to be shepherds, which is where we get in the original language that word pastors from. You have to shepherd the flock. Shepherds care for a flock that does not belong to them. And the flock, it says in, in Acts 20, was bought with a high price, with Jesus' own blood. So that's the responsibility level. It's to say, this is not yours, they are not yours, they are mine, but I am entrusting you to shepherd them well. So how does this, all of these scriptures help us and how do they translate into 2022 in the life of the local church? Because obviously there's a few thousand years between when these things were written and, um, and where we are today. So we know why we have this role from scripture because Jesus himself gave it. So when Jesus himself gives something to the church, we pay attention to that. We also know the qualifications for this role. Scripture outlines that pretty thoroughly. 
So then what should a pastor be doing? What should your pastor be doing? That's a great question. I know it's weird that I'm talking about myself but not about myself. I'm talking about the office of the pastor, and we're just separating those two things, and you'll see that's the best way to do this, I guess. So from what we learned last week about the role of the deacon, going back to Acts chapter 6, if you remember, that they were choosing deacons to serve in the local church because, and with among the believers because they needed to allow the apostles to devote themselves to the ministry of the word of God. And from that inference uh, that pastors are teachers and they give instruction and they should be able to teach, we understand that pastors are responsible then for the instruction of the church. And that's why there are others that are raised up to help carry some of the load of, of uh, and responsibility in the local church so that the pastor is able to do this well. Your pastor should have the ability to study the word, and have time to do it well. Your pastor needs the understanding and encouragement of the body to prioritize this responsibility. And she has that, just so that you know. Uh, this was a learned behavior for me, to be able to prioritize studying in the word. This, was, this did not come naturally to me, uh, but it was one of the best gifts that my predecessor gave to me. My predecessor in this role was my dad, so I had the privilege of walking, watching him in pastoral ministry my whole life. And um, I understood, even as a kid, I remember, I understood that my dad was unavailable during the week until 11 o'clock in the morning. That was his devoted study time. And so I knew, but I also, by the way, knew that if I needed to call my dad, I could interrupt him. I don't think I ever did. Maybe not, maybe not like one time, but I knew that I could, and that was enough. Uh, only a very few people could interrupt that study time. It was so protected. All the staff knew. That door did not open, and when it opened, it was like, okay, I'm available, but that was such a protected space. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. My predecessor is here staring at me in this room right now, but I will say it honestly anyway, as I've said it to him before. Um, it seemed a little stiff to me for the first 15 years. I'm like, <laughs> for the first 15 years of my own personal ministry, some of it here and some of it out west, um, it seemed a little bit like, that feels a little bit black and white. Um, I respected it. I respected it, right, You know, as you do. But I then worked with him and under him for eight years. And I knew, of course, to respect the closed door. I had grown up in that system. Uh, and I found something out when I worked with somebody who had such a, a specific time block uh, like that. Turns out that 99.78% of everything can wait until after 11. <laughs> everything can wait. Honestly, like, that's what I learned, is that you feel the tyranny of the urgent, and it's actually not necessary at all. And uh, now that I preach 40-plus times every year, my door does not open until 11. <laughs> And I completely understand it now. That protected study time is life to me. And I do have the ability here to build my time like that. What's funny about I literally wrote this sentence, no joke, and my FaceTime on my computer went off and my daughter was calling me and I was like, well, I just wrote it, so I have to answer it because my own kid is the only one who can, who can interrupt this time. So I answered the call. I don't even know if she knows that she did that. And the truth of the matter is this, if your pastor is too busy to protect us time to be studying the word well, your pastor is too busy, period. And so I know that that's my responsibility and not yours, and I know that you would always respect that, and that's the fight that this culture, like, you know, the busyness of life will press, and that's the fight that I'm fighting daily.
And part of teaching the church is also developing others to teach. I know that you enjoy hearing the other staff members um, and you've heard how they've grown over the years. For me too, I've been here 13 years, friends. What I preached like in year one, I hope is not the same as what I do now. And so the development of teachers in our congregation is also part of my responsibility. I love doing that. Part of teaching is spending time in planning for six and 12 months ahead, giving direction to what will be taught and when. Tomorrow I have a day like that. I try to do it quarterly where I have an entire day that has nothing else planned except for to hear from God for the next season. Um, I probably, I, I feel, I'm feeling that now, like that should be three days, a week, a week every quarter. Like that, that never gets, that's never long enough. You know, like that's how it, how it goes. And part of teaching, of course, is also outside of Sundays. It's not just preaching, but preparing for studies, for CP groups, for um, different other things we're doing. Reviewing small group material uh, as people are, are doing that kind of thing. Making sure that what we teach here in general in the church is, 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 a, is, is scriptural and is, is uh, equipping the church for the work of the ministries, writing devotionals and so on. So that's part of your pastor's responsibility. Pastors are also responsible for the protection of the church. This is what Paul is saying to the uh, elders in Ephesus. This is what shepherding means. Sure, we want to take the, the, the flock needs to find food and water. The flock needs to be fed. We've heard probably, if you've been around the church for long enough, you've probably heard this metaphor. But even more, you'll hear Paul lean into this, this talking of they also need protection. There needs to be someone in the church who guards against the schemes of the enemy and stands watch. And this is the heaviest responsibility for your pastor. But to be a spiritual covering for you and your family. This was the most shocking thing about taking this position five and a half years ago. It was almost like a physical weight. I can't describe it. If you're new to church, you're like, well, she's weird now. Oh, that's fine. I'm just telling you what it felt like. It was like um, there was a moment where I, I, you, I felt that for you. And uh, I think that that's exactly what Paul meant. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, as, as Christ sustains, as Christ empowers, as Christ allows, that that is what this role is supposed to be. I always have to be on guard for things that would disrupt and divide the church. Anything that isn't honoring to Christ, anything that isn't beneficial to the body, I don't catch it all. But my, that is my responsibility is to always be on guard, always be watching. And it's tough. This is tough work because... It's a very tangible thing to study and write a sermon. It's a very tangible thing to prepare for a small group or to write a devotional. This is not a tangible thing. And it's tough because while these things, these disruptions can be obvious in some ways, uh, sometimes and oftentimes they're not. But they are still very, very real. These things are often subtle. They're unseen in the physical realm, but they're very active in the spiritual realm. And I'll tell you, sometimes that looks like me saying... I'm sorry, no, we can't. Sometimes I have to say, I hear your heart, but I've got to just say not yet, not in this season. And I know that that's hard sometimes. And I've probably not always been right in my discernment, but I certainly hope you hear my heart that that's part of how I'm, I'm understanding my responsibility, to be able to, to, to make sure that we're focusing on the right things, not allowing distractions, not allowing too much. Anything like that for the long-term good of the church. So that's another responsibility of your pastor. And also pastors are responsible for the equipping of the church. That's exactly what it said in Ephesians 4. The role of the pastor is given to the church, along with those other roles that I mentioned earlier, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
I have to make sure that what we are doing as a church is equipping you, is building you up, is unifying us, and maturing us in Christ. So how do you define those things? There's no checklist for that. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit so much. The discernment to see that in real time, this is part of the responsibility. I'll tell you, um, it is not an easy task. I know you know this from your own life. It is not an easy task to, to do the best things and discern them from a whole bunch of really good things that we could be doing. But the discernment to know what is best and what is possible and what the God, God is actually calling us to and not just something we could do or we feel like we should do, that's, that's the work. I, if you know me, you already know this, but if I, I, I get frustrated when I can't do everything that I'd like to do. And I realize I need a reality check. We all need a reality check sometimes to remind me of my limitations and weaknesses and the fact that no church can do everything, and, and I need to always come back to that. I need to remember that I am uniquely gifted and shaped by God. You are uniquely gifted and shaped by God. He has something specific for us to do. He has a way for us to walk. He has good works prepared in advance for us to do. And they don't, those things might not necessarily be what I think I should do or what somebody's asking me to do because I'm limited. You're limited. We are limited, and we are supposed to be because we are not God. <laughs> and so, what I am always looking for for my own life and leadership and for you and for this church is for peace and the, the security that we can find in knowing that we are in step with the Spirit and with His agenda. And I will tell you, friends, there is a peace in that. And that's what I am fighting for for my own life and for us as a church at all times. So there are a lot of challenges. There is a weight to the responsibility of pastoral leadership. Um, and, and, so, and those are the things that I've understood from Scripture pastors are responsible for. They're responsible for the instruction of the church, for the protection of the church, and for the equipping of the church. But there is a deep, deep joy to this work too. There is a deep joy. Jesus is totally unlimited in every way. Jesus keeps building his church. By the way, this is a side note, but I got to tell you that um, this is my new thing. Uh, you'll probably, if, you, if you're spending any time with me and you're in any leadership capacity with me at this church, you'll hear me say this a lot. When I get, I'm like, I, I don't know how to build a pavilion. Oh, it's okay, Lord. It's your church. <laughs> it's, just, it's totally your responsibility. This is not my church. I'm just serving here, uh, being equipped by you. Jesus is unlimited in every way. I am not, but he keeps building his church and he invites us into the process. And so that's the perspective that we hold on to. And when I do that, I can see so much deep, deep joy in this work. I get to be in the front row to see everything. I get to be there for your weddings and your baby dedications and your baptisms. Oh, I can't. I love, I love all of those things. Well, weddings are kind of a little stressful and a lot of work. But other than that, like we're celebrating... <laughs> We celebrate with you anyway. Uh, but dedicating children to the Lord, baptizing people who have made a decision, like the stories I get to hear. We, you guys get little snippets, but I get to hear all of it. And I'm so blessed by it. I get to be there for your funerals, your heartbreaks. And I will tell you, church, that is a privilege for me. I hate that that happens and I, we're in a broken world and we will all be in places of grief and mourning at some point or another, some of us more than others, it seems. 
But the ability and privilege of being able to walk with someone and, and help them to plan a funeral when they're beside themselves with grief, it's a, it's a real huge privilege. I wouldn't put it in the joy category, but man, do I feel honored to be a part of your lives in that way. I get to be among the first to hear your story of breakthrough and transformation. When something good is happening, I almost always get to hear about it, like one, I'm one of the first to hear about it. So many times, there are so many situations that are confidential and can't be shared publicly. But I get the chance to hear them because I'm a person who could be trusted in that confidence or I have heard about it in some way in confidence. And I get to hear those stories of breakthrough, of transformation, of miracles happening, of people's lives being changed. It's so amazing. I get to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. I get to hear, uh, like, and, then, and then I was just reading in my Bible and then like, this happened. Or did you know that, did you know that like this, like when Jesus and the thing and the thing, and I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm so glad, yes. Like that's the joy of the work. You know I probably actually respond like that too. It's like, I don't even apologize. My goal is to be in step with the Spirit. My goal is, is, is that, and I know that if I can do that, everything else will take care of itself. Jesus never gave me or you or any of us this local church more than we could do. Here's a hundred things, and I'm only going to resource you for 50. That's not what he does. He gives us vision. He gives us direction. He says, choose the best things, stay in step with me, and we, we will do things in the kingdom. My church will be built. Just stay in step with me. That's the goal. I truly believe that. And so I am constantly asking, what is the Spirit saying to the church? This is my focus. And when my own focus drifts, because it does, I'm human, that's the thing I fight hardest to come back to. If everything else gets busy or distracting or whatever, we've got to always come back to what is the Spirit saying to the church? Not what does Tracy want to do in this church. Not what is my opinion of things, but what does the Spirit say and discern those things? I will always fight for that. That's my promise to you. I will fight for that for me. I will fight for that for you. And, um, and, and that's how I see pastoral ministry in scriptures. So I hope that's helpful to you. I hope you found this series helpful. And if you were new with us and you, and you didn't hear the rest of it, um, I would really encourage you to walk through this series. It's been... Uh, obviously scripturally based, but practical in the life of the church. How does this work? Why do we do this? Why do we gather? What does it mean? And I want you to, first of all, go right back to the priesthood of all believers, that you are and I are in Christ equal under the cross, and that he is calling each of us to something. He is call, he's called all of us to salvation, and he's calling us um, to, to join together, to be the church together, and to understand how these things work, to make sure we are biblical in our approach to church life, and go from there. The bottom line is, we, we all, as the priesthood, members, deacons, pastors, all of us, any role that we play, the bottom line is this, we have to love the church. We love to love his church. Oh, she's imperfect but she is redeemed. She was bought with the highest price and she is worthy of our protection and our care and our investment. So I want you to hear me say that and this is why I wanted to talk to you about this all month as we start this new season in September here. And so today, my heart is very full because I get the opportunity to preside over a moment in our church life 
that marks a new season of ministry potential. My heart is really full because as I put thoughts together, this took me a long time, put thoughts together. Uh, it's not complicated, but it, it was just deep. It was, it, there's just, there's been, a, there's been a lot of years, a lot of history, a lot of work. My heart is full because when I was putting this together, I was overwhelmed with everything that it took to get us here. And what that really boiled down to was a bunch of people the local church who sacrificially gave and selflessly served and prayerfully dreamed about what is next and what is now and what is next for this expression of the church of Christ here in Kitchener. And um, it was pretty overwhelming to try to put it all into words. I'm sure I won't do it. I'll be like at home today thinking, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. You'll understand. Where I just want you to hear my heart. There is, there is so much to be grateful for. And so as your pastor, I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to take the time here at the end of the service and dedicate the Freedom Pavilion to the mission and vision of this local church. And like I said about pastoral ministry, as much as there is a lot of responsibility as much as it's a serious calling, this is one of the things that's like a job perk. For I mean, I do have to still speak publicly. You guys are still probably glad you don't have to put the words together and be on the microphone. But it is such a privilege for me to be in a position like this, to have been able to witness the journey that we have taken to today. But, oh, you know, friends, we are not stopping today. We didn't build a pavilion to like... <laughs> Whew, that was hard. Let's be done. Well, we did this because we understand that Jesus is leading us on. So let me say this. On March, uh, March the 6th, 2017, Julie Schroth sent me an email with this attached. Let's see it. Let's see it, Vaughn. I, well, I guess you can see it and I can't on my screen. And it said, <laughs> and it said, at the last board meeting, Julie was on the board. She's on the board now as well, but she was as well at that time. At the last boarding, you asked if anyone had access to a program for designing the pavilion. My brother has one he used for doing his house and shop blueprints, and this is what he sketched up for me. I like to dream about this stuff. This was the very, very first concept for the Freedom Pavilion from March the 6th, 2017. What I thought was remarkable about this is that in concept, it's very close to what we built, right? The vision was there, and then the details were, it's a little bigger than that, but the details, but the, the vision was there. The, the conversation that we were having at that board meeting had come out of a, a bigger project that we called Welcome to Our House. If you were around for that, um, Vaughn, show us this next slide, please. We had an entire list of things that needed to be done to make this a welcoming environment. Our, eight, our buildings were aging, and our property, there's just things that need to be done. So we started to create a prioritized list and phased list and got uh, quotes and all of the things. And we uh, presented the needs of our buildings and our property to, uh, to you as a congregation in June of 2013. That was June of 2013, nine years ago. We committed to three phases of renovating and updating. And in those phases, deep into the phases actually, uh, we, we wanted to fix the gray shed. We were going to reclad it maybe. That was kind of the idea. Because uh, it was, um, if you ever saw the gray shed, I know there's some new people here. It's not, it was not pretty. Like it was not, not pretty. Functional? 
stored a lot of stuff, was a great habitat for the wildlife around us in the, in the, in the, in the end of its, at the end of its life. Not our favorite, not our favorite part. Uh, it's obviously something had to be done with it. So we knew that had to be done. We also, um, Arlene Wells, who was on staff at the time, was like, you know what we need to facilitate some of our programs is a pavilion space. We have very little shade. Wouldn't that be a blessing for like our soccer league and different things that we're running? So as these things came together, we started to say, what if they were the same project? Instead of two separate projects, build a pavilion and fix the shed, what if they were one project? And so these, these conversations have literally lasted for all of these, like I guess almost a decade. So it's pretty incredible to see where we are now. So once we got through some of the bigger projects, we have done a lot of projects. If you are new with us, you don't know, like, I know that seems like a long time, just little by little by little, this small local church has been proved mighty in doing these things well and uh, just working through them consistently. We did risk assessments. We started talking about what we can do. We can start talking about combining that, those two projects together. It took us uh, five and a half years to be here today. It took, I don't even know if I could count the number of emails that have gone back and forth, how many meetings there were over all of that time, how many minutes of hours of phone calls. I don't know, Brian, how many hours? Don't even look back at your phone record. I don't think that that's probably good. The stacks of paperwork between the site plan application and the building permit, the stacks of paperwork that we had to figure out and get through, the million decisions that had to be made, some ahead of time, some in the moment. And now the Freedom Pavilion this morning is going to officially open. And I will tell you already that it is already being used as part of our vision for a life transformation campus, 10 acres being dedicated to the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have us do next that we would have faith for? So thank you, Jesus, that we are here this morning. Watch this with me. Sometimes when you test all of the technology and everything's working, um, anyone who was here for worship team practice, can you just give an affirmation that we did see this video earlier? It was actually running. It was quite loud and beautiful. So let me tell you about a life. No, let me tell you about a life transformation campus, everybody. This is another reason why you'd never want to be a pastor, right? I was like, I don't want to fill that time. That's horrifying. Um, I will tell you this, that in case that's a new concept to you, we, we really do believe that uh, in the process of rezoning, we rezoned our property, uh, I don't know, five or six years ago. It was a huge process. And while we were sitting with uh, the planner from G uh, GSP, who's our planning firm who helps us with these things, uh, they had never seen the property before. We first initial meeting, sat there with Pastor Dell and I. We met with them and said, um, we need to rezone, and we don't know what to do, and we need your help. And they said... Um, okay, uh, let's see, let's look at, like, look at the property, let's look and see what's coming around you in the development, and they had all the plans for all of these developments around us, and they looked at a map of freedom, and you see this 10-acre square in the middle of all of this building, and uh, the senior planner looked at that, and not a believer that I know of, he may, he may be, but that wasn't the context of the conversation, and he said, you guys are like an oasis in the middle of this neighborhood. And Pastor Dell and I looked at each other and went, well, that'll preach. Like that, <laughs> we might be able to use that in the future. And so if you've been in, uh, you've probably heard me say it before, maybe from the, from the platform, but we certainly in, in, our, in our leadership and our meetings, we talk about it like that. That if you can see, we have neighbors next door already. 
And in, we are going to be entirely surrounded by new community. And we are one of the only churches that is, that is south of Fisher-Hallman on this side of things that we see in the plans. And we're like, Lord, you have placed us here for such a time as this. Um, you ask, we, we did a, a great dedication, like a service last, last year about the history of our church and how when they built this building and they bought this property, it was in the middle of where, Brian? Nowhere, right? <laughs> it was in the middle of, so those of you who are here back then, it was in the middle of nowhere, but those who had faith to see what was coming. And now we have those looking at our property saying, look at you guys strategically placed like an oasis in the middle of your neighborhood. And we do believe that about the Spirit of God. We do believe that people um, need to know him and that he will change lives. And so we just keep saying, Lord, how is it that we can, uh, we can leverage this 10 acres for your kingdom? This was the next thing. This, is, this was the next thing. So what we're celebrating today is that. They, I don't know how many more things I can say about that, you guys, but they... Um, I, if you, I am so excited to see it, if you guys are. Are we good? Yeah, let's watch. Yeah.
Amen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm tired or what. I edited that video myself. Didn't feel a thing. I feel a little choked up now when I see it all come together with you guys. Um, this was not actually possible without an amazing team. So give me a moment to recognize some people. Thank you to the original Pavilion Committee, led by Julie Schroth, and it included Brian Dom, Sandra Park, Pastor Aaron Jameson, and Callie Schmidt. You poured so much time and talent into dreaming about how we would use this building and how to make it a reality. And this was no small feat. We'd never tried anything like this before, and we honor, your church honors your work. Thank you to Brian Dom specifically, who acted as our construction manager. Thanks, Brian, and oversaw every de detail of construction. Your expertise was vital, and we are. Ex I was especially grateful for the excitement and joy you brought. Most of those pictures were Brian's, by the way. <laughs> just, just taking all the pictures all the time. From day one, so much hard work. Day one, back in December, digging that foundation, um, all the way through to landscaping last week. Thank you seen and recognized. Thank you to our board and to our finance committee who worked alongside of that pavilion committee every step of the way, giving oversight, taking risks on this project. Um, and everything that, it, that uh, like something like this comes with it, uh, you just chose, you knew what the risks were and you decided to walk in faith and you saw that this was what was next. Your faith and your thoughtful stewardship, which was vital, is something that I wish more people could witness in those meetings. Again, a privilege of mine. Um, I just, I really appreciate you in every way. Thank you, especially to Pastor Erin, um, who took leadership of this project back in March. She jumped into a steep learning curve and uh, saw it all the way through to storage shelves and pipe insulation. Literally, she insulated some pipes. I saw her do it the other day. Uh, your dedication, Aaron, to seeing this day happen, it, it kept us all believing that we would finish and we would cross the finish line, so thank you. Thank you to every one of you who showed up. Sometimes with a few hours' notice in a text message from Brian, we need you tonight. <laughs> Some of you just showed up. Uh, you spread out straw or you dug it back out again. You raked and raked and ra Why is there so much raking? Every time I came out, people were raking. Uh, people who moved us in, people who moved us out. And even today, there are people that came early. They're decorating. They're getting ready to serve. They were here yesterday getting everything prepared. Every part of it mattered and every part of it made today possible. And I see you and I'm grateful to you. Thank you to every single one of you who sacrificed financially to build this pavilion. I'm reminding, uh, I want to remind you of the promise of God in 2 Corinthians 9 that when you have sowed generously, you will reap generously. And we fully believe and, and also that Jesus will be known by the things that we do here at Freedom and your gifts have helped us expand our reach and our ability to serve this community for him. Psalm 127, 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So knowing again, as I've said already, and the reason I was okay to do this sermon this morning, knowing that this is not our church but his, 
knowing that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, knowing that we are called to steward everything we have as good managers for him, we thank God that our labor and sacrifice are not in vain and we can trust him to watch over our work in his church. Amen. So I want to invite you to stand with me and we are going to formally dedicate this pavilion to the Lord together. You'll see it's very simple. There's a part for me and a part for you and then a part for all of us. And so let's do this together to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters and friends, we have assembled to dedicate this building to God as a place to be used for the sake of the gospel, as a place dedicated to the service of God in his eternal kingdom. To the glory of God our Father, to the honor of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God and our Lord and Savior. To the praise of the Holy Spirit, source of life and light, the pavilion and, and the people who use it will be dedicated to the Lord. Thankful for the fellowship we have in Christ and for the opportunities of sharing what we have in this new space. We dedicate this building to the glory of God. Thankful for the sacrifices made to see this project through to completion and grateful to the one who inspires all giving. We dedicate this building to the glory of God. Do you, Freedom Church family, now give this building to God to be used for the purposes of his kingdom in this community. We do in all sincerity, with love for God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in step with the Holy Spirit. Now together, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Come on, let's just take a moment to worship and thank him as we've dedicated this space.